Alright, so we are going through the book of James. So Wednesday night we had our introduction to the book of James. And it's very important that if you didn't hear that message, you need to listen to that one. I don't want to repeat everything, but there was a lot of foundational stuff I wanted to make sure that everybody understood before we got going verse by verse through the book of James. But one thing I will just repeat briefly about the book of James, this is something that's written to believers. This is written to... Even though I believe James was a very early book that was written, we see here in verse 1 that it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. And I showed on Wednesday how, while it's written to the twelve tribes of Israel, it's not written to just people just because they are of the twelve tribes. It's written to them just like the book of Corinthians, how it's not written to all Corinthians, but it's written to the saved people in Corinth. And this book, it's written to saved people who, who happened to be Jews that were scattered all over the world. And I showed how that was just how it was then during that time. So this group that this is written to, these are people that are familiar with the ways of God. They are familiar with the Old Testament. They are used to morality. They weren't like the Gentiles that had to learn all this and kind of learn a whole new culture. And so if you were a Jew and you were saved, you would of course have followed Jesus Christ after the Messiah was introduced. And you would have just basically, you wouldn't really change anything morally. You would change a lot of ceremonial things. There's some religious practices that you would definitely change. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. But as far as in your day-to-day living, and in your morality, nothing's really going to change. Okay, Those of us who have been saved for a long time, people like myself that grew up in a Baptist church, there are certain things that are just second nature to us that we know we're not supposed to do. Things we know that we should do. I mean, I can't imagine just laying out of church. I can't, I just, I can't even fathom just Sunday coming around and I'm going to watch football. I can't even imagine that. All right? that just, but at the same time, even the best Christian who grew up in it, we just are naturally bent on backsliding. And occasionally we need somebody to come along and kind of give us a kick in the pants and just kind of get us fired up and just re- renew some things in our mind and remind us of some things. And that's what the book of James is. The book of James, is he's like an evangelist who goes and just preaches a week-long meeting in a church trying to get the church fired up, trying to get them renewed, trying to get them revived. And the t- typical subjects you'll hear in your typical uh, revival meeting in an IFB church is basically what we see in the book of James. And so, he appropriately kicks it off here in the very beginning with talking about trials and temptations, telling people not to let them get, get you down. He said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, he's saying this because do we not just naturally tend to get down? Is it not in our natural instinct that when bad things happen to us, for us to get mopey about it, get down in the dumps, and to just kind of let it bother us, let it affect our spirit? That is a very common thing for us to do. And we need to be reminded, hey, Leap for joy, you know, when you're persecuted. Hey, this trying of your faith says, knowing this is the trying of your faith, work with patience. These hard times you're going through are good. They're going to make you a better Christian. And he's kind of, you know, he's kind of encouraging them here the way a trainer in a gym maybe would encourage somebody who's working out and they're feeling pain. You know, that, that, that trainer is going to say, good, that's good that you feel the pain. That means you're accomplishing something. This is going to make you stronger. This is going to make you better. And if your goal as a, you know, as an athlete is to get better, to get stronger, you know what? You're not going to mind the pain. In fact, you're going to ask for the pain. You know, you know that you need it in order to be better. And one thing that there's not a whole lot of preaching on these days, and I think it's something that we need to preach on more, I need to preach on it more, is just encouraging people to have a desire to be like Christ. You know, we like hearing the simple plan of salvation so much. And rightfully so, we should like that. But you all realize that as believers, we are supposed to have this goal of being like Christ. It's supposed to be such a big focus in our life. And it was for, I believe, many of the early Christians to the point that, you know what, the Apostle Paul he referred to this day or this time when we become like Christ. 
he referred to that as the blessed hope. Okay? Now, what is the blessed hope today? The blessed hope today to Baptists is an imminent rapture. You know, a raptured away from all of our problems. Escaping tribulation. Okay? And listen, when the rapture comes, you know, we are going to be getting pulled out of tribulation. All our problems are going to be over. But when you look at the context of Titus chapter 2, when he's talking about the blessed hope, the blessed hope is that one day I will be like Christ. And that just so happens to be at the rapture. But when people today think of blessed hope, their, their hope is that my problems could end today. They're not even thinking I'm, I'm, you know, I'll be like Christ. And that's not even in their mind. Because if they were focused on being like Christ, you know what they would be doing? They'd be purifying themselves today. And unfortunately, that is not emphasized in churches today. That is not a, that is not a focus. And it should be. We ought to be making a big deal about that, about being like Christ. And it ought to be, there ought to be something in you that's saying, I want to be like Christ. And if you have that in you, you know what? When patient, when, when temptation comes, when hard times come, you're going to say, you know what? Thank God. This is going to make me more like Him. But our focus today is just easy street, no problems. And there are benefits to temptation. It says, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Our goal should be to be more like Christ. Our focus was for the rapture. It was never just so we would escape tribulation. The focus of the rapture, what was supposed to get us excited, is that we would be like Christ and we shouldn't be afraid to even pray for God to make us more like Him. That ought to be a prayer. That ought to be a desire. It says, if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Okay? He upbraideth not. Now, what does that mean? Okay? How many of you kids in here, you've ever asked your parents for something and you were upbraided? Alright? In other words, they chewed you out. Alright? You know, you got yelled at for asking for that, you know, extra ice cream sandwich or, you know, whatever. I love ice cream sandwiches. Those are like my favorite thing. We get those. I don't have to ask, thankfully, since I buy them. But, you know, it, 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 you know, we've all, as kids, I know there was times I asked for things and I got yelled at. It's like, why are you even asking for that? You're just being greedy. You're just being selfish. If we're asking for wisdom, you know what? God wants to give it. He giveth it liberally. He upbraideth not. He wants to give us things that will make us more like Him. God wants to give us patience. God wants to help us to be holy. You know, the Bible says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you all realize that when it comes to being spiritual, when it comes to being like Christ, if you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you and you've got the Word of God, you realize there's the only thing between you and that is you. There's nobody stopping you. You could talk about you know, the problems that you have in your life. You could talk about the people that are in your life. But you all realize those challenges are what's going to make you better. You know, do you realize that wisdom, it often comes from experience. A lot of the things that we face in life are what give us the wisdom that we need to understand other things. And often the great things that make us more like Christ that you know, God sends our way are often they often come in the form of trials and temptations. But you all understand, if we have this focus of I want to be like Christ, you know what we'll do? We'll rejoice when those things come. We'll be thankful for them. And it says in verse six, it says, But let him ask in faith. So if you're going to ask for these things, you have to do it in faith. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So you know, right here he said, don't even bother asking God for something that you don't believe He's going to give you. Okay, And we all, we just read it right here. We all say that we believe the Bible. It tell, it's encouraging us here to ask for wisdom. How many parables are there that Jesus gave encouraging people to pray? Tell them, you know, pray, beg, uh, you know, be annoying about it. 
Now, now, why don't we do that? Because Christians are pretty, they pretty commonly lament about the fact that they don't get their prayers answered. In fact, too, you know, many revival meetings are often, there's usually going to be a message in there about prayer. I know an evangelist, that's pretty much all he does. He's, he's wrote books on prayer. He goes and he does prayer conferences. And he'd preach, he'll do a whole revival meeting just about prayer and talking about the importance of prayer. Now, I don't think there's anybody in here that would say, I don't believe that prayer works. I think all of us are smart enough not to say that. But, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I said, now, how many of you often do not get your prayers answered? Alright, you know, I think we probably have to raise our hands. You know, we don't often see great things. Now, why is that? Because we're double-minded. So, you know, the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What makes us double-minded? Because here's the thing. He's been talking specifically about having patience and wisdom. We want to be like Christ. But everybody says they want to be like Christ. If I asked everybody in here, who in here wants to be more like Christ? You know, we would all probably raise our hand, but why is it that we're not becoming more like Christ? It's because we don't want to pay the price. Because if you're going to be like Christ, y'all realize that you're going to have to endure the fellowship of His sufferings. You're going to go through the things that He went through. You're going to be hated by the world like He was hated. I mean, when you look at Jesus Christ, we see He was tempted of the devil for 40 days in a way that we can't even imagine. We see He was despised on this earth. He was persecuted. I mean, He had people that hate Him. We see His crucifixion. We see all these things that He went through. And while we'll never go through it to the extreme that He did, you do have to understand that if you are going to be like Christ, you're going to probably face some things similar to what Jesus Christ faced. And you know what? None of that is appealing to our flesh. Just like I talked about last week with the fellowship of His sufferings, suffering is never appealing to the flesh. But the sufferings of Christ are what make us more like Christ. And one of the things that one of the things that I've seen that has just really been I've learned in the last couple of years is you know when I started coming around on the post trib doctrine and stuff you know for the longest time I tried to avoid the post trib crowd because I didn't want to look like I was trying to get in a club I didn't want to look like I was just following people you know I wanted people to realize hey this is me I believe this by conviction but at the same time. You know, I would see all the junk that was going on, and then I started getting accused of everything. I'm getting accused of being an Andersonite. You know, I'm just trying to get in with this club, and you know, I'm getting accused of all these things all the time. In the meantime, while all my old IFB friends are just being weak, they're being lame, they're being pathetic. I'm going to their meetings, I'm going to their conferences, and the preaching just stinks. They're preaching things that are unbiblical, and I'm hearing all this junk. And you know, and and then I would listen to some of my own friends. And I preachers that I knew well sometimes get up behind the pulpit and flat out lie about these guys. And it just it finally just lit a fire under me and I'm like, you know what, enough's enough. I'm gonna do what I want to do. You know? And it just it kind it kind of liberated me, you know. And one of the things I've learned, there's other guys that are out there that are in the exact same boat that I was in a couple years ago. And one of the things that I do while I know they agree you know, with me doctrinally, I never push anyone to do what I do or fellowship with me. I, I never do that with anybody because I know if these people really believe this way and they start doing the right thing, they will get treated exactly the way that I was treated. And you know what that's just going to do? That's just going to push them this way in a way that I would never be able to do it. And I've see, I'm seeing that type of thing happening. And then you know what? It just makes the fellowship stronger because we have so much in common. Hey, you know, you got thrown out of your club too? You know, all of a sudden, you know, it's, uh, you know, you have something in common. You have something you can relate to. Oh man, you were just being honest and studying the Bible and trying to ask people questions and they just kept calling you an Andersonite instead of trying to answer your scriptures. You know, you have those things that you can relate to because you went through the same things. And it kind of creates a strong bond, you know, between people. And you realize that when we face the things that Jesus Christ faced that were battles, that were difficult, you know what it does? It draws us closer to Him. It ends up making us more like Him. And there's a lot of examples that I, you know, we could give like that. But that's why when we are getting 
treatment like Christ got, we ought to rejoice because it makes us more like Him. That's foreign to people because that is not the attitude. That's not the goal. That has got to be the goal. That has got to be the mindset. Anything that makes me more like Christ is a good thing. That's got to be our attitude. And if we do, you know, we're going to rejoice in, in tribulation. And we're not going to mind these, these things. And you know what? We're not going to be double-minded. When we're going to pray, when we pray for wisdom, we will understand, hey, you know what? If I get wisdom, that means I'm going to go through some stuff. If I'm going to get patience, that means I'm going to have to endure some tribulation. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. If that's really your goal, you know, you're not going to mind that and you actually will rejoice when that type of thing goes on. So, you know, don't be double minded. Just you've got to determine, I want this, I can have it, if God will give it to me. But where, where you're struggling, it's not so much in your mind, it's just in your flesh. Your flesh doesn't like persecution. That's why you got to crucify that flesh every day. So look at verse 9. It says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those that love him. We see here, we're supposed to rejoice. Alright, let the brother of the Lord agree, rejoice in that he is exalted. We ought to rejoice when we're humbled. We ought to rejoice when we endure temptation because we're going to receive rewards for those things. We're going to receive crowns one day for one of these things. And so when that takes place, if we have a mind of faith, if we actually are, if we're focused on the things that make us like Christ, we are going to love the idea of being humbled because what was one of the things about Jesus? He humbled Himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. But what is it that our flesh struggles with? It struggles with pride. Our flesh says, I want to look good to everybody. But you know what? That spiritual man, he's going to say, you know what? I don't mind being humbled. Because I'm going to... The more I get humbled, the more I get knocked down, the more that God's just going to exalt me later on. So if my goal is to be like Christ, then great. I mean, that's wonderful when I'm humbled because God's going to do something with that. He's going to produce something with it. Verse 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Okay, Now, I'm going to probably point this out a couple times in the book of James. and We were talking about this a little bit before church. Sometimes in the Bible, you see two different writers you know, use a terminology that seems to conflict with each other. Okay? And people who are just narrow-minded in their Bible interpretation and don't look at the Bible as a whole often get very confused and just come up with really stupid ideas. Alright? That's just that's idiotic. But notice how it mentions here how you know neither tempteth he uh, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Okay? That phrase, neither tempteth he any man, is in the Bible, right? But is that the whole sentence? Okay? That's not the whole sentence. He, he does say in that sentence, neither tempteth he any man, but remember in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1, it says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And I've heard preachers get before that God never tempts anyone. Well, actually, it says God tempted Abraham. It says, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Alright, now, pay very close attention to this, okay? There's some pretty cool truths here. Uh, that don't necessarily go with the message. It's kind of a bonus I'm going to throw in here for you. All right, God, right here, He tempts Abraham. 
How do you reconcile that with James 1 saying neither He tempted any man? That's not the whole sentence. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted He any man. Therefore, it's talking about with evil. Okay? Because remember what Jesus said to Satan? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Okay? God cannot be tempted with evil. Therefore, God is not going to tempt us with evil. That is not what He does. God is not going to tempt you with the things of the flesh. God is not going to tempt you with some woman or anything like that. God's not going to tempt you with the things of this world. God does not tempt with evil. Why? Because God cannot relate to that because God has no desire for evil. There is nothing in Him that desires any sin. So God, when it says here in James that neither tempt any man, it's talking about with evil. Okay? You have to take that phrase in the context. It's not just a blanket. God never tempts anyone. No, sometimes He does. He did it with Abraham, but God never tempts people with evil. If you ever have a desire to sin, if you're ever being tempted to sin, just understand that that's not from God. That is from the devil. Okay? But here's the thing. with This is just kind of bonus with Abraham. So how was this tempting with Abraham not, not with evil? Well, Here's a good way to look at it. You know, was God tempting Abraham with sin? So, well, he's going to kill a son. Okay, well, what is it that makes a sin a sin? Okay, it's the law. It's the word of God that makes something a sin. If God told Abraham to kill a son, then it would not have been a sin for him to kill a son. In fact, it would not have. If it would have been a sin for Abraham to take his son, his only son, whom he loved. And to sacrifice him, if that would have been a sin, that wouldn't have been a sacrifice for God who took His Son, His only Son, whom He loved. All those things that God said to Abraham about His relationship with His Son, the Bible says about God with His Son, Jesus Christ. So, does anybody think God sinned when He sacrificed His Son, Jesus, for our sins? Absolutely not. Okay, But notice what God tempted Abraham with is something that he was able to relate to because that was something he was going to have to do. And just like God was willing to give His Son, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. And you know what we see later in chapter 2? And remember this when we get to next week in the, in the you know, butchered James chapter 2. Because of Abraham's obedience in that particular situation, what did God call him? The friend of God. Now, what is it what makes us friends with people? It's things we have in common. That's what brings us close to people. You know why Abraham was a friend of God? Because Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, his only son, whom he loved. Something that God was able to relate to greatly. Therefore, Abraham was the friend of God. So we see that the temptations and things that come that come our way the temptation for sin, it doesn't come from God. God doesn't tempt with evil. Okay? But yet Jesus, he was tempted of the devil, wasn't he? Jesus and Jesus endured that temptation. And so I say all this to show how these temptations, these things that come our way, these things, if we're victorious, are ultimately going to make us like Christ. Okay? And unfortunately, I feel like I lose people sometimes when I start talking about things that we make like Christ. People want to hear. I want to, you know, like, I want to hear a sermon. Tell, you know, preach a sermon on finances that will tell us how I can be rich. You know, preach a sermon that will tell me what I need to do so I can be popular, so I can be happy, so I can have all these things going for me. But and that's a lot of preaching today, and there's nothing wrong with that. All right, we ought to teach people things that will help them be happy, successful people. But folks, more importantly than all those things, what should be a desire of our heart more than all those things is being like Christ. And we can be happy, okay? But at the same time, you know, Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And you say, well, how can we be happy? How can we have life more abundantly and be of sorrows acquainted with grief? I'll tell you why. Because, you know, Jesus said, in me ye have peace. In the world, you shall have tribulation. Okay? The sorrows, the things that make us more like Christ, those are things on the outside. But you all realize, if we're like Christ, even when we're facing tribulation on the outside, we can have great fullness of joy on the inside. 
You know, we can be like the Apostle Paul in Philippians when he's writing from jail. I mean, just constantly talking about joy. Right? Saying rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We can be like the Apostle Paul and even when in prison. And we know Paul had a goal to be like Christ. We know that was a desire. Maybe that's why he was singing in the prison. Maybe he was singing in that prison because he's thinking, man, this stinks. This is horrible. It's painful. I mean, we're suffering in here, but man, this is going to help us be more like Christ. He's thinking if I was at home, you know, I'd be watching television and playing video games and doing all this carnal stuff that would have just got me farther away from Christ. But man, I'm stuck here in prison, suffering. You know what? This is going to help me relate with Jesus Christ better. This is going to make me closer with Him. And so you know what He did? He just praised the Lord. And it's amazing how people miss these things. You know, you got the dispensationalists. One of the main verses that they use to prove there's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is the Bible says, and I'll get it mixed up. I think it's the kingdom. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. It mentioned that in the violent take it by force. But then, later on, it says, for the kingdom of God is not, you know, meat and drink, but love and joy and peace. So the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, the kingdom of God is peace. Alright, now what was that? You know, and you see those are two different things. Things that are different are not the same. But wait a minute. But wait a minute. No, actually they are the same because when it's talking about the kingdom of God is not, you know, meat and drink, it's showing that the things of God they are, you know, it, they're, they're the, it's about the spiritual things. The spiritual things are what's important, okay? But, you know, while us, while we're a part of the kingdom of God, physically, we often suffer, don't we? You know, the kingdom of God often suffers violence. But you know what? We are also a spiritual people, and so in Christ, we're at peace. So, yes, physically, you know, we're at war, we're, you know, we're suffering, but we don't have to spiritually. We can enjoy these things. It doesn't make it two different things. Okay? And it, it's still the same thing, but it's like sometimes you might be, you know, I might be talking about how, hey, this person is suffering. I might be speaking physically. But you know what? Hey, praise the Lord, the spirits are good. Okay? It doesn't mean they're two different people. It just means sometimes we're focusing on the physical, sometimes we're focusing on the spiritual. And as believers, we have both, don't we? We absolutely have both, and it's you know it's all about what we're going to focus on. All right, so are we going to focus on the physical? Or are we going to focus on the spiritual? Well, hopefully, you're focusing on the spiritual, and if you are, the physical tribulation that comes your way, you're going to thank God for it. While it's persecution, while it's tribulation for you, it's peace. You know, because you're going to be excited about the fact this is going to make me more like Christ. And that ought to be our goal. So, you know, the, the end result of giving in to temptation, too, in sin, it always means destruction. It always means misery. And this is why God never tempts us in that way. Anything that temptation that God brings our way, you know, some people say God never tempts, He tests. Well, you know, it does say He tempted Abraham. Okay? God never tempts with evil. But look what it says in verse 15. Or verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, does anybody think Abraham just lusted after killing his son Isaac? No. That was not a desire of his flesh. He had no desire to do that. God wasn't tempting him with the lust of the flesh because he doesn't struggle with that. Okay? God actually tempted him with something that he was able to relate to. And it says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God, the things that God brings our way will make us better. Okay? The things that the devil tempts us with will destroy us. God will not tempt you with alcohol. God will not tempt you with adultery or fornication. God does not work in that way. God, he's gonna, he'll test you or he'll tempt you in things that he can relate to. He'll bring things your way that'll make you a better Christian, that'll make you more like him. The things of the flesh, though, the devil uses, he uses those things. Those are the things that the devil uses 
Tribulation is something that, that God used. Because once again, does any of our flesh desire tribulation? All right. Now, I'll just admit it right now. Physically, I have no desire to go to prison. And you know what? Even if it's the tribulation, I don't want to get my head cut off, really. You know, I'm sure it hurts for a second. You know, I, don't, I have no physical desire to get my head cut off. But I will tell you right now, I have a spiritual desire to give it all. And you know what? Yeah. You know, cut my head off in that aspect. You know, if I was about to get my head cut off, I would probably be there, you know, at the guillotine wincing. Like, you know, this is going to hurt, you know, know, because it's not going to feel good. But I would say, too, I like to think that spiritually inside, I'm like, hold the sights that I'm about to behold. You know, I mean, that, that would, I would hope that would be my reaction to something like that. And if my thinking's right, it will be. But, do you, now, would God tempt me with tribulation? Yeah, tribulation's not a sin. Tribulation is something we can relate to. Would He tempt me with being a martyr and laying down my life? Of course He would. That's not a sin to give your life for the cause of Christ. In fact, that's something that Jesus can relate to greatly. Do you think that he might tempt me from you know with a beating or something like that? Probably. Jesus went through that. Jesus did that. These things are not a sin. If I am buffeted, if I suffer for the things of God, for the cause of Christ, those things are not sin, but all of those are things that are going to make me relate with Christ more. They're going to make me more like Him. And folks, that's a good thing. That is a blessing. And you... You know, our carnal minds struggle with that, but folks, God's promised us rewards for these things. If we knew, I've used this illustration before, and I'll use it again. Nobody wants to dig ditches for a living. But I think all of us in here would dig ditches for a living if it paid enough. Okay? $100 an hour, give me a shovel, I'm in. Okay? You know, $10, $15, $20 an hour, and no, probably not, you know. But if the price is right, uh, uh, the price is right. I'll do it. You know, at the distribution center, I transferred out of the freezer a while back. They asked us a while back, you know, what would it take for us to want to work in the freezer? How much more would we have to get paid an hour? And I had a really tough time. I was like, boy, you know, how much? Because <laughs> I don't like it in the freezer. I, I hated it in there. But at the same time, I'd do it for enough money. I would. And you know what? All of us would take a beating if we knew what we'd get in heaven for it. All of us would lay down in our life if we knew what we would get in heaven for it. So well, what are we going to get in heaven for? What's it going to be like? I don't know for sure. And that's where faith comes in. You know what? Just trust God that He is going to make it worth it. Okay? Have you ever done a job for somebody before? They said, I'm going to do, I want you to do this job. I'm going to pay you. And then you got paid and it was very disappointing. What you got paid is like, really? I did all that work for this? Okay? But then there's other times I've done work for people Said they were going to pay me. I wasn't really expecting much. And then they like, gave me, I'm like, you know, can I do this for you again? You know, you know, can I make a living doing this for you? Okay. You know, a lot of times we don't know. That's how it is with the things that God brings our way. We don't know what we're going to get, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced, alright, and when I'm, if I'm wrong, you tell me when I'm in heaven. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be right. I'm convinced that anything any suffering you do for the cause of Christ, when you receive your reward in heaven, you're going to be like, I wish I could have done that again. I wish I could have got my head cut off twice. You know, I, I, I really believe that that will be your attitude. So you know what? Why don't you just go ahead and believe that right now? Why don't you just go ahead and believe it right now and let these things have their perfect work? Because, you know, so giving in to temptation, it's a dangerous thing. It's something we're all capable of. Because every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Okay? Enticed. Tricked. Deceived. We are all in danger of being deceived. We can easily convince ourselves in our mind that something is right just because it's something we desire. There's people out there, they have justified, you know, drinking, smoking pot, or whatever. What made, how did they do this? How did they justify this in their mind? It was easy because they wanted it so bad. They had, their, their physical body desired it so much, it's easy to convince your thing, yourself, 
that things are okay. Okay. Now we all know it's not a sin to necessarily eat junk food or ice cream and things like that. But, but folks, do we not all, you know, want to be like this person that's just in great shape and has a great physique? Do we not all want that? All right. Do we now? Do we all know that you know McDonald's is not going to help the cause? I think we all have that knowledge. Okay. I think we all have that knowledge. Yet. We eat it all the time. Why? I'll tell you what, we justify it in our mind. You know? I it's so easy to do. I decide all the time, you know what, I'm gonna eat better next week. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, I and, and then next week comes and you're like, Well, you know this this it's not gonna work, you know, I'll I'll do it later. You know, we we it's so easy to justify things. And those are little things there, but people do it with fornication. They do it with adultery. They, I mean, they do it with everything. And that is easy to do. And everybody's lusts are different. We're drawn away of our own lusts and enticed. Okay? And these things that, these lusts that we have, they don't come from God. He's not tempted with those things. But our flesh is. And we've got to learn to spot these things. And that's why we've got to learn what the law says and just learn to follow it. Even when we don't like it. So we'll avoid those things. So verse 17 says. Um, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of His own will begat He us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. The things that we need to become like Christ, they come from above. These are things that come from God. They don't come from the earth. They don't come from the things of this earth. They don't come from our flesh. These things come from God who doesn't have any darkness in Him. There is no shadow of turning with Him. There is no sin whatsoever in God. There is no evil in God. And the things that we need, they come from Him. There is nothing bad in God. Therefore, anything that comes from God will only make us more like Him. And you know what? What things? Let me ask you, what makes you more like Christ? A great big fat check in the mail? A whole big wad of money or suffering? I mean, what makes you more like Christ? We see that Jesus on this earth was very poor. You know, we see that Jesus suffered. What makes you more like Christ? Somebody building you up and talking you up? Or persecution? What is it that makes you more? We all know the things that make us more like Christ are the things that don't go along with our flesh. And we all know that the things of our flesh are what makes us less like Christ. And you've got to understand that the things like the tribulation that God uses, those are from above. Those are what make us more like Him. These things of this world, those don't come from God. Okay, that those, you know, all those lights you see at the casino and all the dollar signs, you know, that they have, just people all looking happy, all that. That maybe you're desiring, that you're coveting after that, you're wanting that. That doesn't come from God. When do you ever see Jesus winning a whole bunch of money? And it doesn't count when Peter caught a fish and it had money in the mouth. All right, that wasn't just a lucky thing. Jesus told him to go do it, and get it. That was a miracle. All right, we don't we don't see that. You see Jesus getting lucky anywhere? No, that, that, there's nothing in him that's like that. These things are they're earthly, sensual, and devilish, and those are the things that we're generally tempted with. And God does not use those things. He uses the things that actually go against our flesh. So verse 19 says, "Wherefore, my beloved brethren." Okay, wherefore, why? Because, you know, of these temptations that can get us, because of the fact that the good things come from God that uh, go against our flesh, the things of our flesh, they go against the things of God. Understanding all this, it says, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For, why? For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I don't care how much we want to talk. You know, I try to have righteous indignation. I think sometimes I do have righteous indignation. But you know what? I will admit most of the time when I'm mad, I'm in the flesh. Okay? The Bible says be angry and sin not. Some stuff should make us mad. But folks, when do you usually get in trouble? When you're angry. That the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. It is rare that we produce good fruit when we're angry. Okay? But notice the Bible says, be slow to wrath. 
Okay? So you know what? It's okay. You know, it's obviously not a sin. Otherwise, you wouldn't say be slow to wrath. That'd be like saying, you know, be slow going to the casino. You know, be slow to commit adultery. No, it just says not to do those things. So, wrath clearly is not a sin because it's saying be slow to wrath. Why? Sometimes we need to think about these. We need to have time to think about stuff. We need to sleep on some things. And ladies and gentlemen, boy, some of this stuff with the queers has been getting me so mad and so fired up. I can't tell you how many times you know, the, just the lameness and the patheticness of the old IFB just stand around. Nobody wants to stick up for Pastor Anderson getting banned from all these countries. They just want to hide in their little closets that the queers used to have to hide in. You know, it makes me so stinking mad. I can't tell you how many times I've almost just went out and was like, you know, I'm going to make a, I'm just going to make a good old-fashioned rant video. And I haven't done it yet because I've just been. It makes me so stinking mad. So you know what I've been doing for over a month now? I've been being really, really slow to wrath. Because you know what? I'm fixing to let it all out at the Make America Straight Again conference. <laughs> and by the time that comes, man, I mean, I'm going to be ready to blow my top. And you know what? I don't think I'll sin when I do it. Because I've been very slow to wrath. <laughs> I've been slow... And I just I can't wait for that conference. I've got some stuff I need to get off my chest. I've been wanting to, I've been wanting to just preach a few things here at church. Like no, I, I can't do it yet. I'm not ready for it. I, I'm, I'm going to save it for that conference. And I, I'm going to tell you folks, I'm mad. All right, I'm mad, but I haven't let the actions get out yet. I'm going to be slow to it. And so by the time this conference comes, it's going to be good. All right, it's going to be good. I'm going to blow my top. I'm going to completely lose it. And I don't think I'm going to sin either, because I've been slow to wrath. If I'd have preached what I wanted to preach a month ago, I would probably I probably would have sinned. But I think I think I'm, I'm following this. So what? Be slow to wrath. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You know, be swift to hear, slow to speak. We're always too quick to talk. We're always too slow to listen. We need to do the opposite and all those things. When we do what comes naturally to us or act quickly, it usually causes us to sin. And what helps us avoid sin. You know, it's acting slowly to things. And guess what that takes? Patience. I've got to be patient. All right? I, I want to bash the queers really bad right now. I want to hammer. I want to just beat the fire out of the old IFB for not standing against perverts and for relocating perverts in the pulpit. When they get busted, they're always relocating them. And it infuriates me. It makes me so stinking mad when I hear about this stuff. And I heard about some stuff over a month ago, and I haven't done anything yet, even though I've been really mad. Why? I'm being slow to anger. And it's just a matter of time to get to let it all out. And I, I do not believe I'll sin following, but you know what? It's taking patience. That patience. You say, how is that patience going to make you more like Christ? Have you ever read what Jesus Christ is going to do when He you know, begins to pour out His wrath? Why? Because He hasn't really been doing it in the last 2,000 years. So, why? Proof is, Illinois is still here. Chicago is still here. Washington, D.C. is still here. The United States of America is still here. He's holding back His wrath. He's being slow to wrath. It would be completely justified if I heard on the news tonight that a tidal wave was coming that was going to wipe our nation out. You know, I would not be, I would not be mad at God one bit. I wouldn't pray and say, Lord, why? I would be like, yeah. I knew it was just a matter of time. I was hoping it was going to be after the rapture. But yeah. I mean, that would be my, if I, if I heard a meteor was heading for, you know, the United States was just going to wipe us out, I would not get mad at God. I would understand it. I don't know why He hasn't done it yet. But you know what? He hasn't because He's slow to wrath. But He's not going to hold it in forever. And when He lets it out, it's going to be bad. So you know what? When I am holding in my wrath, when I am slow to wrath, that's making me more like Him. When I'm going through difficulties, when I'm persecuted and I don't react to it, when I'm reviled and I don't revile again like Jesus didn't do when He was on the cross, 
You know what that does? That causes a connection there. It makes me more like Him. And all of a sudden, now we've got a stronger relationship. I'm going to be better, but I've got to have patience. And the Lord, I mean, that's one of His... He's, he's the best in all the... You know, when it comes to any good attribute, but patience is a big one. The Lord is very patient, slow to anger. Thank God for that. But real quickly, it says verse 22, "...but be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the Word, and not a doer... He is like a man beholding his natural face in the glass. Now, folks, I need you to do something most Baptists can't do. All right? Can you all hang on to a thought until Wednesday? All right? Because what we're reading here, it, it, you know, these thought, this main thought here, is continued into chapter two, and you need to understand that in order to get all of chapter two. Okay? Chapter divisions came later. Okay? This is all. This is all one letter here. What we're reading here. It goes along with chapter 2. Don't be a doer of the Word, or just a hearer. Don't be just a hearer. Be a doer. Otherwise, you're deceiving your own selves. For he beholdeth himself, goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. We've got to be doers and not just hearers. Many people who sit in church regularly are guilty of knowing what is right, but failing to do right. And this is a major problem. All right, For one, with knowledge comes accountability. James 4.17 For him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Therefore, there are some things, when you don't do them, you're sinning, where when someone out there doesn't do them, they're not sinning. So I don't want to go to this church, then I'd rather not know. All right, well it's too late. You're here. All right, now you know, so you're accountable. So uh, it doesn't do any good moving. But and this is we've talked about this before. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Knowing the truth and rejecting the truth that is what creates reprobates. This is these people who get all bent out of shape because we preach a reprobate doctrine, act like we're teaching limited atonement. You know. They do not understand, and I think they're just ignorant on purpose because they want to use the term limited atonement because everybody knows how disgusting of a doctrine that is. They want to be able to say we're doing that. But if we are saying, a, if, if I say a person is a reprobate, you know, what that, you know what I'm saying? That person knew the truth. That person was told the truth. God wanted to save them. He tried to save them and they refused. I'm, that's what I'm saying if I say someone is a reprobate. They're saying, you know, you shouldn't give the gospel to every creature. No, I'm saying they got the gospel and they rejected it. Okay? Now, these idiots out there that want to accuse me of stuff, you know, they're not going to listen to this. They're, they're just going to keep saying that same stupidity, alright? But just so all of you know, if I say someone is a reprobate, that person I'm calling a reprobate is somebody who God loved, God wanted to save, God tried to save, and they knew the truth, and they rejected it. Okay, Reprobates knew the truth and rejected it. I don't have time to prove that in all the Scriptures. But that, my friends, is why reprobates often come out of churches. That's why pastors often produce reprobate children. Why? Because they are surrounded by truth. And if they don't walk in truth, it's because they rejected it. There's many people out there in the world who they've just never been exposed to the truth. They're doing a lot of wickedness because they don't know any better. Those people can be saved. They're doing things like the Apostle Paul who did it ignorantly in unbelief. There is a difference. And we need to understand that it is dangerous. We are always on dangerous ground when we know something's truth and we reject it. That is dangerous. And... Uh, that's another sermon we could talk about for another day, but under, get, the, get that point. That's a very important thing to understand. But let's look at these last two verses. Look at this. Keep this in your mind. Keep this in your head. Burn this in your brains because we're going to continue this thought when we get to chapter 2 on Wednesday. It says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And I forgot to read verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Alright? And here's what you need to understand about pure religion. It's basically, uh, you know, it's not just like a denomination or something like that, but religion, it's religious practices. It's your religious observances. It's what you're doing. Okay? 
You're here at church on a Sunday night. That's a religious practice that you observe. Okay? A lot of the things that we do, uh, that is our religion. The works that we do, it's our religion. We were not, we are not saved by our religion. Okay? We are not, we're not saved by works, but after we get saved, we often have a religion. We have practices. We have customs. We have works that we do. And our works, our religion ought to be pure and it ought to be undefiled. And he talks about how it's, you know, visiting, uh, you know, the fatherless. You know, it's, it's, it's the good works that we do. It's the things that we do for others. It's not even, it's not even really the doctrine. Okay? The religion isn't really the doctrine. It's the practices. It's the works. And works are very important for believers. You know, it's how we worship. You know, how we pray. How we sing praises. Alright? All these things are a part of our religious practice that we do. But here's what you need to understand. Bad works, they cancel out your religious practices. Okay? We can sing all the right songs. You can have all the right music. You can wear all the right clothes. But if you treat people bad, your religion's in vain. It's no good. And some people, they've got the most conservative music, the most conservative dress, but they're the meanest people in the world to other people. You know what? You just canceled out your pure religion. I'm glad you have good religious practices, but you understand that more importantly than your religious practices are your, the works that you do for other people. That is so key. That is so important. In our church, I want our church to have good religious practices. I want us to have the right kind of music, the right kind of order of service. I want our building to look right. I want to dress right. I want to try to do all these outward things that we can. I want to have the right practices. But you know what? If we have all the right practices and we treat people bad in our church, we're not taking care of the fatherless and we're not visiting the sick, we're not doing those things, you know what? Our religion is in vain. We're not going to do anyone a bit of good. If we're going to sing just the most beautiful godly music and treat people like trash, we did nothing for them. If you come into this church and you see, so you're a visitor, you come in here and you just see, I mean, the most excellent church service you ever saw, everything done great, I mean, right on line with the Word of God, and then we do. We make you our footstool. We're not willing to talk to you, care about you, be friendly to you. You realize we did nothing for you. We did, we, we did nothing for that person. Keep that in mind. Hold that thought because that's what sets up what we are talking about, what the subject matter is when we get into the often butchered James chapter 2. So with that, let's close. Dear Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for uh, the instruction that it gives. Lord, I pray You'll help us in here to uh, make that a focal point in our life. Lord, not the things, Lord, not possessions, not popularity, notoriety, things like that, Lord, but that we will be like You. I pray we will not be double-minded in our prayers. I pray we'll have the boldness and the courage to ask for these things, Lord, knowing that uh, they might come with some real difficulties. But Lord, I pray You'll help us to uh, be okay with that. Lord, I pray we will have that real desire to be like You. We'll crucify this flesh and that we'll walk in the Spirit. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's go.